my goodness. Wow. Nate Freeman, we're back with more oh. Nota Bene. Oh, my God. Oi, Oi Kavay. Everywhere I am out here in the Hamptons, Bumpty, but big fan of the pod. Where, where, where are the new episodes? What's going on with you guys this summer? It's summertime, baby. It's summertime pod. We do this when we fucking want to. We are yeah. not beholden to our fans. We I don't pod have a, when we want to. I don't have a Patreon or whatever. Have you pronounced that word? Like, you know, you're not paying for this. We don't even have advertising half the time. It's a whole pain in the ass. This is just from us to you, and it's summertime, man. I'm, I have a busy schedule of Barry's, of um, hitting the beach, obviously, tennis. Um, I'm curating a show that opens in like six days. That's a, a tremendous amount more work than I signed up for in the summertime, I have to be honest. We already plugged it. Might as well plug it again. You can say which artists are in it now. I can say which artists are in it, if, if I remember. Uh, everyone from Jonah Freeman, Joel Messler, Sherry Hoofsepian, Rob Davis has a great contribution to the show. Mindy Shapiro has two epic pieces, it seems like. Uh, uh, Bruce. Um, great. Uh, who else? So many people. I don't want to leave anyone out. Will Cotton uh, contributed a really great piece. Like a whole and number of really fun artists. Uh, it's not just the Jews. We get some Gentiles in there. It's Goy Friendly. Really? It you is Goy Friendly. Man. Yeah, huh. yeah. You know, wow. we're not exclusive. It's about diaspora, but it's going to be like a blast. Um, uh, so if you're in Sag Harbor next Thursday, five to seven, we're trying to get some sort of glatt kosher catering truck. I'm not sure if we're going to pull that off or not, but it could be a good time. It sounds like a blast. It's All so weird. The Chabad Center, so, you know, just, just show up. Yeah, and shit's for sale, man. Th- stuff's selling. There's an incredible Eddie Martinez in the show, Sam Moyer. It goes on and on. It's really all Wonderful. the best people. Wonderful. So um, are you gearing up for tomorrow night's Cursed Watermill Gala, Benjamin? I, I feel like we've spoken on this particular topic in years past. I have been to that gala. I will never again. I never say never, but the likelihood of me attending ever again is very, very slim. Uh, it's a, it's the weird it's the world's weirdest gala. If you haven't been, you should probably go just once. So you can understand Definitely. what we're talking about. Because I'm not sure, even in our eloquence, if we can paint an accurate word picture that will fully describe the absurdity of this event. A lot of uh, performance art, qu- art in quotation marks. There's certainly performance happening. There's things on planks and and plinths and people and makeup and you know, all sorts of things. Yeah, it's a it's it, it, it's it's a it's not a fun time. It's just super awkward and weird. Um, you know who usually makes an appearance as the auctioneer? I'm not sure if he's still doing this. Is Simone de Pierre and going once and going twice? Yeah, you know, I was surprised. I, I haven't. With- I you know Simone, who's been a very good friend to me over the years. You know, uh, hooked me up with my job at Phillips back in the day. Um, a, a really dynamic guy, but I was surprised, and I haven't listened yet because, like, someone who's—he's not really in the art world anymore, right? We can kind of agree on that. Sure. Um, he was a guest on uh, on a much more successful podcast than ours. Did you listen? I haven't listened to to Simone on on how long gone. Not that I don't want to. I'm just a little backed up on my how long gone episodes. You know. Uh, yeah. They, a lot they of, publish a sixteen lot of a week, so it's hard to keep track. You know. Right. Simone is probably you know hanging out with our friend Alec Monopoly. So, you know, how can we blame him for having a great time? Yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, so no, neither of us will be attending the Watermill Gala. Um, God, no. Um, I'm actually staying in the city this weekend. Looking forward to it. Just going to chill out, maybe go see Oppenheimer. Who the fuck knows? Um, I would do that. I mean, I wouldn't, but I think that's a good choice for you. Are you in the office right now, Nate, on a Friday in, is it July or August? I don't know. Benjamin, I love work. I love work so much, and I have a lot of work to do after this, so it just makes it easier. You still have a lot of work to do. You've been cranking out the word count, buddy. Just you wait and see, buddy. 
Just you wait and see. You haven't you haven't even <laughs> given me one of your closest friends any sort of hint about your you got you got your claws and your your teeth are sunk into something. I can't wait to find out what it is. My lawyers tell me I can't discuss it, not even on the pod, but also just in real life. It's just too sensitive. But you'll see, it's crazy. Okay, I mean I'd sign an NDA. Um, in other personal news, if you're listening to this and want to be my assistant, <laughs> I've I've had a quiet God. I've had a quiet quitting. Um, I announced <laughs> this on Twitter. I got some very good. Um, much better. Last last time I was looking for an assistant, I went to the Instagram. A lot of garbage. Not mm-hmm. you, listener, who sent me, but uh, <laughs> the other ones. Um, this time I went with Twitter. Much higher quality of applicants there, surprisingly. Or X, I guess what? I'm supposed to call it now. Is it X? I think it's I think it's X. Is are there also some sort of minor nota bene internship opportunities that are associated with this this assistant role? Yeah, you can hook you you, you can help out. I mean, the problem is that this this is not a cash. Uh, this is not this this is a cash a black hole, not one that mm-hmm. produces cash. I I tend to the people I give money to, I tend to like them to be engaged in the activities that are making me money. Call right, me call yeah. me a capitalist pig, as it were. Maybe I am one. Um. What they call this in the industry is a loss leader, I think. <laughs> it is a loss leader, and I'm happy to do it. We love doing it. Um, uh, anyway, so I guess there has been uh, you know, uh, some, some fun events in the Hamptons I've gone to. Uh, there's so many, oh, I don't remember them all. Uh, so I can only really reference the most recent one. Uh, was invited to a very nice, very small dinner uh, in honor of a good friend of mine uh, who has a piece up at an art foundation, a single painting up at an art foundation in Manhattan. So the proprietor of that foundation, the funder, the founder of that foundation, hosted mm-hmm. in his incredible museum-like home. Obviously, I'm not using any names here for discretion reasons. Uh, sure. A beautiful dinner with some of the most illustrious names uh, in the contemporary art world now, like a couple of the hottest names, as well as some other very active uh, artists, as well as a great name from you know from the 80s on through, uh, who's still very you can't successful. Say any names? No names. <laughs> Um, he showed with Mary Boone for many, many years okay. Okay, and doesn't anymore. Uh, funds both a movie theater and an art exhibition space here in beautiful Sag Harbor. And okay, uh, now maybe people can guess. Now it's too close, right? See, there's, there's, I don't know how to do the in-between. Anyway, we yeah. had a really – it was um, – a really fun dinner uh, catered by the Quality Eats folks. There's about eight of us at the table. And we actually had a conversation right. about the art world and the art market and art itself over dinner. It wasn't just these side conversations about where kids are at camp or whatnot. And that was kind of cool, especially you know hearing from uh, someone who is a, a genuine superstar in the, in the go-go 80s, uh, comparing mm-hmm. contrasting what it's like to be a superstar then with some, some guys that are current superstars. So that was kind of fun. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that's, that. that's what I'm in it for, that's right? Great. It actually mm-hmm. would have been, totally. you know, if, if I weren't so disgusting, if I if I weren't so um, enamored with continuing to be invited to events like this, it would be great fodder for this year podcast. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. And you know, I likewise not in the Hamptons, but you can get a pretty nice dinner reservation if you stay in the city this time of the year, as you know. And uh, last week, as I wouldn't I, know actually, but continue. I you know as the 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 you know proverbial you would know listener and. Anyway, so I went to this new restaurant called The Golden Swan with Art Basel CEO Noah Horowitz and a bunch of other luminaries in the art world. Uh, the Golden Swan, of course, is the former home of the Spotted Pig. Oh, is there still the sketchy upstairs? They gutted the entire thing. It's not really recognizable. You sort of have the bones of it. Like, you know, I hadn't actually been in the Spotted Pig in like a decade, so it's kind of vaguely, you know, familiar, but... Let me tell you, the service, excellent. Food, fantastic. We got an off-menu tomahawk steak that was recommended to us by 
owner, Matt Abramchik, who was hanging out and just saying hello to everyone. I saw a bunch of fashion designers and some Vogue writers. And, you know, it was, you know, very, very cool scene up there. Very well curated. And Matt has a, a great hidden sense, as you know. Yeah, former yeah. establishment to be interested. Of course, yeah, for sure. I, I kind of wish I'd been able to hit this dinner. Unfortunately, I was invited. I was going to be out here. I happened to be in the city that night, and I should have popped down and said what's up to you guys. I mean, I, I was I was on the late train out. I think my train left at like eight thirty, but I could have grabbed a cocktail. I figured before you, you could have grabbed stuck. a cocktail. You were sorely missed, Benjamin. Um, Truly, we were talking about it. I mean, you guys were part of that. That's a cool crowd that you were there. Like that, that table is pretty strong. Table is part of that curation, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, it was a great, it was a great table of, you know, friend of the pod, Daniel Oglander was there as well as uh, Daniel Turan, who is a great collector and investor. Um, <laughs> um, who else? There was uh, a Nick Olney from Casman Gallery was there uh, and Alex Glauber, the uh, fish fan and art advisor extraordinaire. Oh, you know what? That reminds me. I actually saw uh, Daniel Oglander this past weekend. I took the whole family out to Montauk for an opening dinner celebrating Chloe Wise and her suite of new paintings at Max LeVay's The Ranch. Um, it was a pretty cool time, man. It was, I'm uh, sure. My kids were bonkers. They were having so much fun running around, like charming everyone. Um, uh, my son tried to have some of a margarita because it was in like a lemonade, like self-service station. <laughs> um, I think he's, with, he's old enough, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I slapped it out of his hand after, after I, I'm not sure if he got a sip or not. Um, but they love seeing the horses there. They ran around. We actually, we were planning to sit for dinner, but like, it just seemed like it, it was, it was a, an amazing, um, meal curated by, I forget the guy's name, but it's like a recipe Pierce developer. Pierce Abernathy, this guy. Yeah. Really cool guy. Uh, met him a few times with Chloe. Yeah, it just seemed like maybe making two kids sit down through a meal where everyone was mm-hmm. like chatting about art world stuff like that. We we got in what we could. We ended up hitting like the drive in on the way out of town for some incredible cheeseburgers and some of the best onion rings like I've actually had in years. Hard to find I a good onion ring. I think I know the place you're talking about, like right off off the main Montauk Highway. Like yeah, right I, I yeah, can't yeah. remember the name right now, but it was a great mm-hmm. choice. It was a superb uh. choice. Max, I'm so sorry that I could not be there. I, you know, really, really wish I could have. I was actually on Martha's Vineyard with Lucy and Lady visiting uh, George and Ingrid at uh, Winter Street Gallery, where there was a great opening curated by uh, uh, Charlotte Hyman and Herrera. That's Adam Charlotte Hyman's design architectural firm doing really, really cool stuff. I don't know if you remember when we were at Nina Johnson Gallery. Uh, in Miami in December, we saw that back library room. Oh, yeah, really yeah, that cool library stuff. room was cool. It's the same dude. I didn't realize that. Same I didn't make guy. A connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there were lo- really, really cool show. Yeah, there were a lot of people made it out to uh, to the opening. Uh, I saw Bruce Weber was there uh, in full Great. regalia. Um, Amazing. Who else? Uh, Chloe's sister was obviously there. Um, Rockwise, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Who else? So many people. I'm having a brain moment. It was, it was a good time, though. It was a really good time. I was happy to be. I'm bummed I missed out. The show looks great, too. There's also it's a like great a suite of Matt Johnson uh, new sculptures that were incredible. And I think they're having mm-hmm. an opening celebration for that this weekend. They do these yep. great public openings, like, all afternoon, I think, on Saturdays. And it's like a it's a cool property. It's a cool, cool, cool reason to hang out there. They get a, they get a cool crowd. You know who didn't show up uh, is a past guest and our friend Adam Lindemann. Uh, huh, wonder why. Yeah. That's weird. Uh, in case you missed it, I mean, this we almost had an emergency pod. We didn't do it. I guess um, Max had Adam arrested for assault. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, two great yeah. guys, two very spirited individuals. We're not taking sides here. We love both of these people. Love both like, of them. These, you know, love both yeah. of them. 
Um, mm. You know, if if I had the money on who is going to call, who is going to drop a dime to five zero on who, it wouldn't have been Max dropping on Adam. I have to say, but um, mm-hmm. you know, the world's a crazy place. I hope they patch it up. You know, me too. Um, I I, I want to send an invitation to the two of them to come on the podcast and and we can all work it out. I know we've all been in the table together, the four of us. We've had a good time in the past. I don't see why this couldn't happen. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think maybe their lawyers wouldn't allow that, but um, I'm happy to <laughs> attempt it. Uh, that's what we're about here at Nota Bene is bringing people together. Reconciliation. Now, yeah. uh, while we're on topical news, I mean, of course, the story that everyone has been texting about and chatting about uh, and pinging back and forth is about the greatest gallerist of the, of our generation, uh, certainly, mm-hmm. uh, one Mr. Larry Gagosian. I uh, I was sent this this story a little bit early by my my friends and, and colleagues at the New Yorker, so I devoured it on Sunday while on a very large boat in Martha's Vineyard. One of the better ways to spend a Sunday that I can ever imagine, honestly. It was really just a, a thrilling, gripping read. I mean, I've read a lot of Larry profiles over the years. This one has to take the cake. Was- I mean, yeah, it was well written, but it, at least for me, it didn't present any new information but it gathered together all the various anecdotes that if you you know i've followed larry's you know i've probably read just about every major Mm -hmm. thing that you know at least during my time in the art world that's been published um that's sort of about him and this sort of gathered all the disparate anecdotes that were in all these things and and brought it into one meta narrative which we've never seen before it was clearly done with larry's cooperation um Mm -hmm. and it quoted a number of people that are close to him but are close to us as well um i believe the first uh the the first person quoted is our friend ellie ryans is that true Mm -hmm. yeah just like right up top i think in the second column ellie gets some ink uh and then you know read the names read the names in order of appearance if you would nate i i I have the list here so ellie ryans glenn Furman. oh interesting yeah, I saw Derek and Bla- Barry's out here in Wainscott this week. Oh wow, Derek's really hitting the berries. That's great. Love to see. It. I've seen all three of those first people Derek. in the past six days. In fact, continue. <laughs> uh, Anna Wyans, who uh, gives a very brief quote. Um, Andy Avini, the great director, goes in. Mark Jacobs, the designer and of course great collector. The um, uh, very <laughs> uh, fist-friendly lawyer Richard Golub, uh, if you recall. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Louis Guzin, of course, Tico Mugrabi, who remember what he said about Larry, this motherfucker works 24-7, which is kind of amazing. Jenny Saville, Johnny Pagosi, whose pictures were included throughout the uh, uh, article. That great shot of, of Castelli and Larry and mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, the advertising guy, Sachi, on the boat in St. Barth's yep. like 91. Amazing. Iconic photograph, really. Uh-huh. Mike Ovitz, who says he did not fire Larry from the CAA mailroom, which is pretty amazing. Kim Gordon, uh, who worked for Larry at his very first gallery. Steve Martin, Alan Schwartzman, who gave a very, very uh, gripping sort of recollection of an interview he did with Larry when they first moved into Nanine Madison. Uh, Millicent Wilner, great director in London. Irving Blum. Cecily Brown, who left Larry, uh, I think, 10 years ago for Paula Cooper. David Geffen. Tom Hill, Mark Kostabi, Diego Maroquin, Ron Perlman, who's now besties with Larry again, which is hilarious. Um, I guess... Yeah, he really debased himself in this fucking article. (laughs) That was embarrassing. Continue. (laughs) Yeah, just for the invite to the Memorial Day party. Stefania Bordolami, Antoine Sargent, and quite memorably, Issy Wood. 
Yeah, Izzy went Izzy went hard. That was probably the most um, gripping part of it. Although bits of that story have been published previously, I believe, or her take on it, or she just told yes. me that. I'm confused, but you know, bits of them. But but no publication is is as yet given Larry Gozian an outlet to deny that he was drunk and requesting Aerosmith. So now that's out in the world. <laughs> you can picture with I think she said like crumbs coming down the front of his shirt. That was that was the least flattering part of it. And Izzy's a straight shooter and uh, a very sober individual, um, as well as a great painter. Uh, I believe her. Um, I mean, I don't. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know if Larry was. was yeah, so I, Aerosmith. I don't know. On on a meta level, we won't get into the individual anecdotes. You should go and read the story. It is very very readable. But I'm interested in that Larry. Um, you know, took part, you know, granted interviews and clearly gave certain people like employees of his permission to speak to this writer. Um, and the Gagosian uh, PR team clearly allowed this to happen. And I'm wondering why they chose this moment. And, and he didn't give anything away. Like these are all anecdotes that are out there. Um, it didn't really give you any additional color. You the whole story of the son of, you know, kind of kind of son of a, a gambling uh, bookkeeper uh, who made good, kind of has some wayward years on the West Coast, smoking the ganja, uh, becomes, you know, a poster dealer, blah, blah, blah. The, the whole way through into the mega mm -hmm. guy, you know, the son to, to holding the empire that the son doesn't set on. But I'm wondering if the reason that they got it in front of this and it's basically a blowjob of an article. I mean, it makes Larry look really good, um, yeah. I, I would say, is that there's also concurrently, from what I hear, a book being written about Larry by the guy Michael, whatever his name is, who did, who wrote Boom, uh, the, the book about the contemporary art world. So I'm wondering, and I know and I know for a fact I've heard that he is not participating in that as of yet. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm wondering if this was a way to take some oxygen out of the room and out of the people that will talk to that writer and, and kind of shape the narrative around Larry Gagosian's legacy and if that was the PR move on their part. I'm sure that that sort of went into the calculus about whether or not to do this profile. But at the same time, I think part of it was... The New Yorkers never profiled Larry before, so you know this is an opportunity to kind of like have a profile run in the magazine that runs the profiles, the uh, you know authoritative profiles. Plus, the fact that it's being written by Patrick Radenkeefe, who's arguably one of the most famous staff writers at the New Yorker, who uh, you know wrote the, the book and articles taken on the Sackler family, uh, and is very involved with Nan Golden, and sort of had a glow up, you know, this year with books coming out and the, the, all the beauty and bloodshed coming out. The fact that he was writing it, I think, must have meant something to Gagosian and his team, just that, that he would take such an interest. And he clearly spent, a, I think he spent a year writing the story, and it was 17,000 words long. That's very long for The New Yorker. Yeah, even for um, The New Yorker, that was long. I mean, I'm a fast reader. It took me a long time to, to read through this last uh, yeah. last Sunday or Monday. Um, so God, maybe the fact checking The fact-checking process on this must have been intense. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure that took weeks alone. Um, you know, I mean, maybe Larry just like has read Patrick's stuff and was like, you know what? I like this writer. I'm going to participate. Like, we're just going to do it. Um, and, you know, it seems like he gave two long interviews, which, you know, that's significant for sure. But that's just a few hours of Larry's life, you know, like it's not like he's sort of. But he doesn't give backwards. he doesn't give a lot of on the record press interviews. This so, is true. And, you know, he really does. He's that's a very right. protected individual. You know, it continues to uh, the the profile continues to extend the narrative that Larry's not introspective at all. We've read this before that he doesn't mm -hmm. think about his legacy, and that's why there is no, uh, from what we can tell, legacy planning. Um, you know. Um, 
I don't know. It was interesting. It just, you know, I think for the general population, you know, like my dad sent it to me. It's like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm sure you've read right. it. You know, I, I think mm. for people that aren't as familiar with the contemporary art world who might know his name, it, you know, it opens it up to a different audience. But it, Definitely. It, it didn't really, you know, I still don't know what drives Larry other than success. And I think it actually tread lightly on the fact that um, from what I understand and have experienced personally, Larry really loves art. Like, sure, he loves mm. money uh, and likes making money. But he is a real aficionado and knows the difference between a really great picture and a picture that's maybe, you know, not quite as great. And that's that's the difference between being somewhat successful and being the kind of mega successful that he is. Yeah, I mean, I think that it did get at that just, you know, in terms of explaining where the sort of special sauce comes from. And it really comes from, yes, like a desire to make money and a, and a, and a love or the thirst and the chase of the deal, but it really comes down to, yeah, the separation, the, that, that space between a very good painting and a great painting, and a, you know, and how he is able to discern that. Um, I like the anecdotes of him, you know, wandering around houses during dinner parties with his Polaroid camera, you know, sort of like, like that era of Larry before he was the, you know, sort of um, biggest art dealer in the world, but after he sort of made a name for himself and he was sort of burnishing his, his early legacy. That was interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, what, I, what my takeaway there was, and it was something that I was like, oh, I should be more like this if I could be, is his, um, uh, his lack of social grace and he just like, he does the thing. Mm-hmm. He sees the thing, he yeah. does the thing, he doesn't ask for permission, he just pushes forward, uh, especially when he was young and building his career, and he just fucking goes for it, like YOLO, mm-hmm. like 100% YOLO attitude, um, you know, without thinking about what the conventions have previously been within the art game, the kind of polite um, Vardis thing. And it does, the article does reference back to Duveen, who Larry has read a lot about, and I think there's, you know, always been a similarity there uh, between mm-hmm. that great um, uh, 19th and early 20th century dealer and Larry. Um, you know, kind of coming out of nowhere and also creating a lifestyle that the clients want to emulate and selling not just mm-hmm. the art, especially now where Larry is, not, selling not just the art, but selling a desire to be part of the lifestyle and have houses and a collection and a life that is like Larry's. Uh, mm-hmm. And people seem to really buy into it. What the article doesn't touch in is I think we've seen a little bit, from my perspective, and I'm a big fan of of, of how he's changed the art game and the gallery and a lot of the people that work there in the program is if it has lost a step in recent years, um, if it mm-hmm. is as important. It's clearly still the most successful, uh, I would argue, but if it is as important, if it is done really well by, it talked about some of the younger galleries that have come to the stable and how Larry started never representing people, but now represents a whole ton, especially younger galleries, if they have done well by many of those careers, other than Jenny Saville, that have been housed there. And I think the jury is still out on that. And I'm surprised there wasn't anyone that would give in, in the article would at least go on the record. And I can, I, I mean, I know why not with a countervailing narrative to what was presented. Yeah. I mean, I think that there was some reference to, you know, whether or not you, an artist is best served by that gallery model. I know that, that, you know, Cecily talked to that to some extent, and there was a mention of how she left the gallery because she wanted more museum shows, and now she's at Paula Cooper and she's at the Met. I think that it made that point. But yeah, and I, I think it didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't go into, into detail yeah. on it. Really. Um, I do hear there's another big traveling Cecily Brown show, uh, not quite announced yet, but I think we'll hear more about that soon that is in the books. Uh, that'll travel Wonderful. between two major American uh, museums, neither of which are in New York. Interesting. 
Yeah. Love to hear it. Yeah. Wonderful. M- more about that uh, offline, perhaps. But I forgot I had a bit more uh, newsy stuff. Um, I think that's it on the Larry article. I mean, I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You should read it. Um, I'm still waiting for the book. I'm so re- I, I still didn't feel I still felt thirsty. It didn't quench my thirst for really knowing the the true story. Um, yeah, but at, at the same time, I thought it was a classic New Yorker profile up there with some of the best. So, hundred percent, hundred percent. No, people not from the art world, like writing students, like you know, will, mm-hmm. will be reading that article. It'll be mimeographed mm-hmm. in packets for high school seniors, no yeah, doubt. But- but there's still more room for more Larry. Um, Always is. Uh, and in we, other news we, uh, on the mega galleries, right? There was yeah. a, a confusing what was the article. What? Yeah, the, <laughs> the it was a counter program. I mean, that's what I read it as. But like, I still don't understand. David Zwerner is not building one new gallery on one street, but is on the other because of money. But the one he is building costs the same amount of money as the one they're not building. Did I sum that up relatively correctly? Yeah, that was just uh, as coherent as the article. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, I, well, it appears that the uh, gigantic space he was building with um, Italian architect Renzo Piano is no longer happening. Instead, he's going back to you know his old foot soldier Annabel Seldorf to build a space on 19th Street, keeping things in the lower part of Chelsea, southern part, rather than expanding northward. I don't really know what it means. I guess it means more square footage in Chelsea, which David said arguably the most important art neighborhood in the world are arguably i guess i think inarguably yeah yeah, definitely still still i don't love it but you know i'd rather go to tribeca but it's still the most important it was it was interesting you needed to 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 add in the arguably i would say they did a really ben mayfair yeah i would say that his pr team did a really piss poor job in how they packaged this particular nugget of news and shipped it out there i mean clearly they got the new york times writer whatever their name is was it robin um, yeah, it was Robin. Uh, uh, to write whatever they said, but they made it be like, oh, we ran into financial difficulties. I have no, I have no idea if this is the truth. My gut is he and Renzo just like didn't get along, and like it wasn't yeah, magic. Totally. Like, he's worked with Annabelle yeah. on every other project, residential on down that he's done. Why sw- like switch up midstream? And I think they realized that it just wasn't magic working together. Also, David has great space already in Chelsea and enough space um, mm-hmm. to fulfill the needs of the program. I think. Well, I mean, you know with Hauser really leveling up. They're opening up a bookstore and bar and all this stuff. You know, I, maybe he thought that it was time to add some square footage. I think that makes. I sense. guess so. But let, let, let's be honest here, and please, my 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 wonderful friends at Hauser, both the artists that show there and the uh, the the great, very bright people that work there. Their space is garbage. Whereas the Zwerner spaces, even the old space, which is somewhat like un unrefinished, is magic for paintings and art. Whereas I've yet yeah. to see shows in that weird. Hauser space that work. The yeah, ce- the, the, vo- the volume, tricky. the volumes tricky of the space, spa- the volumes of the space are not right for painting. The ceilings are too high based on the square footage, and it just feels weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, the upstairs space I think works better, and I have seen some pretty good shows there. But yeah, the downstairs space I've not really seen something that really, you know, seizes on the vibe. It don't work. Fix it. Um, yeah. I think that's all that I have. Uh, I don't have that busy a weekend coming up. Uh, I'm solo with the kids. Uh, Great. I'm not Love really it. solo. Uh, a wonderful fellow podcaster, Al Bedell, is here helping out. Uh, but uh, yeah, just living the summer life. Getting ready for my show next week. And, uh, and the fall season is coming. I'm already getting a lot of freeze dinner invites in my inbox this week. Like save, <laughs> save the dates. Yeah. I was like, shit, I guess I should book a flight. You're not going to London, already, or you are? I'm definitely going to Paris. London's up in the air. 
Um, but I, I'm not missing parishes here after missing it last year. Uh, but I think I think I can I can swing a few days in London at least, but not the whole week. I think that's what I'm planning on doing. Okay. Um, yeah. But you're doing both. I have no idea, man. I get no idea yeah. right now. I got invited to three different dinners at Ultra Paradiso the week after Labor Day. Incredible. <laughs> we couldn't go through an episode without an Ignacio fucking <laughs> shout out, could we? Look, this is this is a, this is a remarkable thing. Everyone just wants to have their fucking post Labor Day openings dinners at Ultra. You can go to Corner Bar; it's just as good. Well, have you been to the new, the new, uh, uh not the new Corner, the new Ignacio restaurant that opened up in the Corner Bar restaurant uh, hotel? No, um, I, I it's my understanding that it's actually the same menu. It's just uh, a different space. Um, I talked to Ignacio briefly about it at, at this dinner at Balthazar. Um, I haven't been up there yet. I did go to uh, Nine Orchard to watch the uh, Wimbledon final, though, which is quite nice. Oh, that's cool. Um, all right, I get you out of here. I get a, I, I get, I, I get, I get sunning to do. My tan's already fading. I'm sitting inside. Podcasting. Go sun, go sun. I'm gonna enjoy my my weekend in 105 degree Manhattan. Awesome. Well, maybe we'll pod next week. Maybe we won't. We'll Who knows? Fi- you'll find out. Yeah, get ready, motherfuckers. All right, get yeah. right, Nate. I'll talk to you later, buddy. No te bene. No te bene. Out. Oh.